Infinite Session. Infinite Session. Infinite Session. Infinite Session. Infinite Session IPA. Damn, that's really nice. I'm Chris, co-founder of Infinite Session. We're a non-alcoholic brewing company, so we make a range of non-alcoholic beers in the UK and in the US as well. I know that you are distributed across the whole country, for example, in stores like Sainsbury's. How did you start it? What were the first few steps? Well, yeah, <laughs> that's a massive question. There's obviously tons of stuff. Our mission is to help 10 million people start and grow a business for free. We want nothing from you. In Pep Talk, we interview industry-leading experts from around the world who share actionable know-how and life lessons. That's why we're excited to partner with GoDaddy to power up Pep Talk. I've been using GoDaddy for years and would promote them on this podcast even if they didn't sponsor us. You can use their free website builder and start your online business at no cost and even get help these days with naming your business. For 40% off GoDaddy tools, click the link in the podcast notes below and use the code GDXPEPTALK. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Do you mind kicking off the podcast by telling us a little bit about yourself and your business? Yeah, hi, Simon. Um, I'm Chris, uh, co-founder of Infinite Session. We're a non-alcoholic specialist sort of brewing company. So we make a range of non-alcoholic beers uh, in the UK and uh, now in the US as well. So we've been going for um, three and a half, um, nearly four years now. And it's myself and my brother that run the company. Um, We started really from just like having a real passion for beer itself and loving the flavour and experience of drinking beer, particularly in the sort of local breweries in our in our neighborhood in in east london um you know growing up through our 20s trying loads of new different beers and really getting into craft beer but but also realizing that we uh it wasn't it wasn't the best idea to be drinking uh alcohol every night so um yeah we started drinking non- non-alcoholic beers uh that were out there about four or five years ago basically realized that we uh we thought we could create something a bit better that was a bit more flavorful and and, and sort of had more depth and character to it. And from a branding point of view, didn't um, kind of position itself around being some sort of compromised item and, and that kind of thing. So, yeah, um, it's been great fun um, starting the business so far. We're available nationwide in uh, Sainsbury's. Um, we have done for sort of three years, have done really well in there um, and sell online through our own DTC store, Amazon, Whole Foods Market. And as I touched on, we just um, launched in America last year as well. Um, so, yeah, uh, it's been great. So I think a lot of people listening will be like, oh, I'd love to start my own alcoholic or non-alcoholic product range. And and yeah. uh, that just sounds like a massive undertaking to, to build it out. And I know that you are, for example, distributed across the whole country in, in stores like Sainsbury's and getting that sort of thing all set up from production structure and distribution and then of course actual sales is, is quite a task and yeah. i'd like to get into that and, and, and today as well i'd also like to talk about um, is it a good idea to work with family so why don't we start off with talking about how you actually got it going so people understand i mean did you have a job before you started this did you quit your job where did you get the funds what was the first few steps that you took yeah yeah um so i've always uh, been in food and drink um uh, before before this i'd had some other um less successful let's call it ventures in food and drink uh both um so the two ventures i'd had one was a frozen yogurt and one was a sports drinks company 
So the frozen yogurt I started while I was at university and uh, managed to get that in Harrods and Sainsbury's, uh, working with my best friend, um, Will. Uh, it was called Arctic Farm. So we produced tubs of frozen yogurt that we sold uh, in those supermarkets. Um, and then with the sports drink that was called Overly, uh, we sold that in um, Whole Foods, Harvey Nichols, lots of specialist sort of stores, sports facilities, Amazon, that kind of thing. Um, and that was all about being a sort of a better for you version of a LucasAid sports. Uh, so I'd had some, um, I'd had a lot of experience, I guess, with working with food and drink products on a startup level. Um, really the um, sort of move to Infinite Session and, and alcohol-free beer came when my business partner had moved um, abroad with Overly, uh, decided for personal reasons to um, to sort of change his life somewhat and and so it sort of left me with a with a choice of whether I kept moving with with Overly which at that point was doing okay and, and had some really good opportunities but equally needed um, a bit of external finance to take advantage of some of those opportunities and to really take it to the next level or I'd had this idea around beer I think um, it just had a bit more personal connection for me um, likewise my brother who I was living with at the time and, and still do um you know, had been really interested in the beer sort of concept and so decided um, really to, to make that move. Um, and yeah, so that was that was the kind of the, I guess, the background where I'd been involved in food and drink sort of startups before. So but previously, generally speaking, it had always been your own business. I know you started off in, in uh, you know, merchandising at Marks and Spencers. Did, did that give you some grounding for this business? Or do you feel like in a way you could have gone straight into starting your own business and that was perhaps... Not necessary. I mean, to be fair, that was really a, a work six month work placement while I was at, at university. I was 18, 19 while I was there. Um, I was in a head office working environment, but equally, yeah, I wouldn't say that that did did, did too much for me. I mean, it's, I think with it, you try and have to try and take uh, what you can from each of these things. I also worked for Jordan Cereals um, for a year after university in a kind of product innovation team and, and brand marketing teams. Um, and, you know, there's definitely quite a lot that I, I picked up from there. I mean, that's quite a while ago now. It's nearly nearly 10 years um, since I was there. But certainly that one, I would say more being in a kind of FMCG environment, I would have picked up more do's and don'ts. And, you know, you see sometimes with um, the bigger companies and like I say, this is, this is a while ago now, like how, but how long it can take them to get a product to market. And there are good and bad things Um about those processes some sometimes they're, they're there for good reason um but equally uh, you can see the frustration sometimes of good product ideas that don't make it out in time because the internal bureaucracy and, and that kind of thing so yeah that was a really good experience they've got something to lose i guess right as well so they they have to go a little slower and uh, but that's also well, you see exactly. their weakness or sometimes they think they've got more to lose than they um than they, that's true yeah that's true and they actually do i remember certain products being shelved because there were internal uh, worries for example that the uh you know it might in, eat into the sales of existing products and then you just see competitors launch you know these better products and you're you know <laughs> it's, it seems silly when it's, it's something better that you've got behind the scenes but anyway yeah, yeah. well yeah i mean that's why you know brands like apple you always have to admire them because they have the ipod that's doing really well but they bring out the iphone that actually cannibalizes the ipod because if you've got yeah, the iphone yeah. you don't need the ipod as much Definitely. so you have to innovate that way not you know, do the kind of 
yeah taking those risks to innovate and exactly just, yeah well i guess you no know, just just before uh, i mean I, wa I want to just quickly go something you're talking about there's really interesting i think for the listeners which is a lot of people ask us should they go get experience or just start a business my personal belief because i left school at 15 is if you're passionate about something you'll learn it and if you're working it then you can learn yep. by just doing so just start and and you'll yep. build it along the way and learn along the way sometimes when you go work in companies you can learn their bad habits and let and learn sure. their bad ways but um yeah i guess i think i think you're saying a mixture of the two from from you know it was good experience yeah but it, i think if i was advising anyone in my position in a similar position i mean or or whatever i think it like you say starting as soon as possible is the most important thing and i think for a lot of people that will be starting alongside working in another company if they can because you know depending on what kind of business you are often especially if you end up outsourcing for example a lot of things as we we outsource our production and 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 the vast majority of the stuff within our business you're so dependent on other people that actually in the early days it's it's better to be i think to to be to hold down a like an existing job and do that on the side and then build it up to a point where it really demands all your attention um you know, it's really, you can feel that this is really, you know, going somewhere because, you know, when you're developing a new product, for example, often there are just times when, you know, you may have the motivation to be working 16 hour days, but quite fundamentally, that isn't what is important. You're often waiting on other people to get back to you. And, and that pro process just takes time. It could be three months, six months, 12 months, whatever it is. And that, that's what obviously a lot of people do choose to do and, uh, you know, start something in their kind of kitchen table while they're holding a job and then transition over. And I think that that often is um, the best way to do it. But like you say, in terms of habits and, and picking up bad habits and that kind of thing, I think, yeah, that's about um, not staying somewhere maybe too long if you think that it's not the right environment. But equally, probably it's quite helpful to see when things aren't done so well, um, if you can keep that distance. Mm. I'm really keen to get into the conversation about working with family, but just before we go there, because I just want to finish up how you got this business going. I think it's interesting when you mentioned Overly and the whole uh, feeling like the non-alcoholic beer idea uh, was more purposeful to you. It felt more compelling to you. But I, I, I just wondered if you could describe, I mean, it must have been hard to close down an existing business and, and let that go. Yeah, of course. I mean, we've worked on it for a, a significant amount of time, uh, I think probably four years or so in total. Um, and it's obviously a, a really big part of your life. I think, obviously, from my point of view, it made it an easier decision once my business partner had sort of had left and, and moved on to di to different things and completely sort of changed his life really. Um, so, yeah, I think, like you say, the, the main draw was the fact that, you know, I was really passionate about beer and I'm, look, I was really passionate about drinks and sports and everything around that before, but there was just more of a stronger sort of connection, um, with, with this, um, and it just sort of ticked every, every box, you know, having been in the industry for a while before I could just, I knew the importance of the fact that the category was really going to be moving quickly. It was quite obvious that this was really going to be a, 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 a not only a trend, but a long lasting one that, you know, people would be making the, the sort of the move to better non-alcoholic sort of options over not just the next couple of years, but the next sort of 10, 20 years. So that made it an obvious sort of move from a kind of a, 
you know, both a functional and a sort of emotional sort of side as well. But again, for our listeners, I think it's a really valuable insight because a lot of people today might be running a business they don't love because they've yep. started it and spent four years building it. And I think um, your example, by, by focusing on something with purpose, I mean, it's absolutely incredible what you've done with your business. And I think sometimes accepting that, you know, it's not for you and maybe mm. letting it go and not seeing it as a sunken cost, seeing it as experience for the next thing that yep. you do that is exciting for you is a really interesting uh, journey that you went on. If this podcast is inspiring you to start or grow a business, then I recommend you use Taylor Brands. They are our sponsor for this podcast and they help you not only craft a brand, but design merchandise and so much more. In the last year, I've used this site for every single one of my businesses. I couldn't recommend them more. And we've even negotiated a 40% off discount code for you. Just use PEP, P-E-P, when using their website to make your booking. Now, let's get back to the podcast. But then let's just quickly talk about, so you then so you then decided to go full on with the um, alcohol-free uh, craft beer. How did you start it? What were the first few steps? I guess, again, from the experience, I knew that the two key things were, um, and it's quite obvious, but the, the beer and liquid itself, like the taste of the, pro how good the product tasted, uh, particularly in alcohol-free where, you know, historically stuff hasn't tasted good and that being the sort of the main challenge that was number one and number two was getting the brand and the identity right uh those were going to be the kind of the cornerstones for our, our business so that's what we really focused on early days um yeah so a lot of my time early on was spent researching um the, the beer and non-alcoholic sort of beer markets so that wasn't just going to breweries and tasting alcoholic beer but it was reading a lot of research papers on the best non-alcoholic sort of um methods i went me tom and i went over to uh, munich uh to the technical university there which is probably the best brewing um institution in the world where they've got phd students working on non-alcoholic beers and learning a lot from there the german non-alcoholic beer market is quite a way in advance of the uk one so that was extremely important. Um, you know, I'd had product um, development, uh, I guess, experience from everything I'd done sort of before, uh, both on the sort of bigger company side and from, you know, our own, our own stuff. So I was confident that we would be able to develop, um, you know, something, something really good. Um, brewing is a lot more technical than sports drinks definitely i think in in some ways and you know other sort of soft drinks or you know different sort of projects so it was definitely a lot to sort of get stuck into from a technical and science perspective so you know we've worked with um jen merrick who was the old um head brewer at beaver town on a lot of our, our recipes so it was kind of combining um my i guess lack of the fact that I didn't have too much technical knowledge in the early days was a real help because at that point, most brewers that we were speaking to, 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 to contract brew our beer had never brewed a non-alcoholic beer. In fact, sort of everyone, and they didn't really believe it was possible without expensive machinery. Um, and it was up to me to kind of translate the sort of ideas. And, you know, we, we took some quite simple concepts from the actual, um, beer itself from what we'd seen in, in, in our favorite beers from the likes of yeah the, the German market and things and brought them into developing a parallel that we thought um, you know would, would sell well in London um, so it was quite helpful actually that I didn't know that much um, I think at that point but equally combine that with the expertise of someone like Jen. Fascinating and so 
The uh, business was born. Now, I wanted to get into the family dynamics. I've personally had terrible experience working with my brothers. Um, I've got three brothers. I've worked with two of them and both ended uh, horribly. And, um, and, but I wondered, how, how have you managed? What do you think has been the secret recipe to, not to your beer, because I wouldn't want to give that away, but the secret recipe to how you manage to make your uh, partnership work as a family dynamic? Because that, for a lot of people, is both the dream and potentially the nightmare. So how, how do you think, how do you view it? Look, I think it's never it's never going to be easy. It's, we had a great relationship um, going into it, and we still luckily do have a great relationship. But there's there is going to be probably those sort of rocky moments. I think the fact that we also live together kind of maybe does compound that um, as well and uh, makes it an extra sort of challenge. But I think, you know, first of all, I'm just really, really lucky that, um, you know, Tom is the way that he is and we, you know, we're so understanding and, um, you know, just sort of the, the best guy to sort of work with from that perspective. So that is is really helpful. And, and you know, between us, we're not the sort of people that, would like an argument, for example, not that we have many, but to be left sort of, you know, overnight or anything like that. It's one of those things where you, emotions are always going to be high at certain points throughout this kind of um, journey. We're both very different sort of characters, which is is great for lots of aspects of the business, but naturally that can rub at certain sort of times. So, yeah, I think it's really important to acknowledge like between yourselves as early as possible that problems will happen so that when they do you can kind of be like well remember when we said that this was going to happen well it's happening now it's just one of those things that we're going to get through and um you know we'll be out the other side we're both you know you we're both maybe feeling frustrated at this moment in time and but I think, yeah, I think acknowledging it as early as possible is, is sort of the best way and, and knowing fundamentally that you're going to ride those things out because your family and, you know, you know that you can sort of get through those uh, sort of things. But, yeah, I think fundamentally I'm just lucky that he's a very patient, understanding sort of person because not everyone I understand has got that sort of, um, yeah, people in their lives. It's interesting. I think, uh, did you do a shareholders agreement? Did you have a lot of paperwork structure in place? Yeah. Yeah, but I think that was more for our like our first well our, our our investors to be honest. When we first started, yeah, we we didn't, but um, until yeah, not until we we got to that point. But I think there was just such a high um, level of trust overall that um, you know, again, living together, everything else, it, it didn't really feel. Uh, necessary it's it's a lovely story a lot of people listening might think uh, it sounds like a marriage i mean i've been married for 21 years i actually married my business partner yeah. so um oh, wow. know, yeah but we started out as business partners and and yeah. she fell in love with me what can i say but the point the point <laughs> i'm making here is that it is very much like a marriage isn't it i mean the way you just described yeah. the whole process you know um just communication comes across as key um yeah. honesty being you know transparent with each other and and accepting each other's weaknesses and strengths. I mean, well, I wonder if it's one of the thing that I, I've noticed as a trend. So I always like to test if this is still true that you do very different jobs, so you don't bother each other and you give each other respect for that area. So um, I guess you and Tom do very different jobs. Yeah, yeah. So Tom's a qualified um, like chartered accountant. So I was quite lucky Perfect. coming into this that yeah. he would be, you know, and he he very much takes over that. It's sort of most of the day-to-day -day operational. Um, a lot of the day-to-day -day operational sides 
um, legal things, stuff like that. Whereas I'm very much on the kind of, you know, new product development, marketing, sales, you know, branding, some of the operational, um, you know, stuff as well. But yeah, that we it's, it was quite clear early on how that would be separated. And and like you say, I think letting each other sort of get on with those things is important. I think, you know, there are there are there are compromises that you sort of have to make, I think, in order to keep the relationship right. I mean, we, you know, can't come into an office or whatever with each other or day to day treat each other like it's a sort of boiler room type of environment where we're kind of we're going to just rank crank up the pressure to 100 where, you know, some maybe startup environments and I'm not advocating advocating that as a kind of a healthy thing anyway but like you know some people would really be able to push each other to the limit day in day out working in an office but when you're with your family member and you're especially if you're living with them as well I mean there's certainly um although that might be good every now and again day in day out that's just not going to work it's not you know if you're looking for something that's got any kind of um sustainability to it and longevity well you know really sort of pushing each other to the limit every single day when your family and you, you know, have other relationships with each other. It's just, that's not going to work where, you know, potentially you could get away with it for a, a slightly longer period of time. If you're, you know, more in a kind of detached or corporate or, you know, startup sort of office environment, if you like. That's a very good point, actually. And as you saying these things, all of the things that I did wrong in the partnerships with my brother, um, brothers uh have have all the traits of what you just described i mean definitely uh when i my older brother it was like working in the boiler room he was very high pressure always pushing I and mean, it, it kind of ruined the journey a bit you know and that uh, you've got to pace it and see it as as a, as a fun process not just two two people pushing each other to the limit and therefore pushing your teams to the limit and and so i can relate to that point very much so yeah i think you know i've been I've, my previous business was was with my best friend as well so there's a sort of a you know a brotherly element to that as well and i think you do just have to learn when to give each other space because you know it might it might be fine for a bit and they'll give you that slack but eventually they'll probably end up resenting you if you if, if you don't if you sort of push that too far and i think yeah the thing i'm probably most grateful for is that we've managed to you know, we, we've sort of developed a, a way of working, I guess, where it's sort of just we give each other a bit more of that that space. Obviously, all the benefits of being able to be really honest with each other and, and sort of have that sort of closeness, but is equally knowing when not to sort of push. Yeah, totally. I mean, again, just listening to your story about Overly sounds like your partner wanted to stop and, and you accepted it. And that's just, you know, that's also part of it, isn't it? As, as partners, you have to go, go together, go in it together and perhaps accept that it's come to the end together. Yeah, exactly. And I'm, I'm really lucky with, oh, and I was always really lucky with Will that he was such a great person to work with. And, um, you know, we're still, you know, best mates. So nice he, um, yeah, really grateful for how that's, that's gone. And it's, you know, there's no, no hard feelings or, anything there sort of between us it was just one that sort of naturally we just decided to you know it sort of I guess sort of run its course or from my from my perspective I could have I could have I, I felt like I could have gone gone ahead with it still but you know I'd had this idea with the with the beer and I, I just felt it was just this it was it was really a case of weighing weighing them up at that point um well even having that choice yeah. is pretty amazing because I, I again drawing on my own experiences it was like um you know do it with me or do it or don't do it at all 
sort of uh, uh, synopsis. So I, I kind of like the idea that you, he, you know, your partner gave you the choice. That's also decent, isn't it? It's not, it's not holding it over you. Um, and so, so yeah, so 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 some a really great insight and lesson there, uh, and I appreciate you you sharing your personal story as well. I mean, just around, I could talk to you forever, Chris. Like, there's so much more I want to know about your business, so we we'll have to have you back on. But I just want to close this uh, this first episode we have with you um, by just asking you a final question, which is, if you had to do it all again, what would you do differently? Well, yeah, I mean, that's a massive question. There's obviously tons of stuff. I think you can't you can't second guess yourself too much. You just have to kind of go with the journey and learn as you go. Um, I think I think I would take a few things a little bit slower. I think it's easy, obviously, you know, when you're developing a product and you say you've told your friends and your family and you you know you kind of started to get it out there, then it feels like the pressure is is on a bit almost to kind of make that that progress, whether it be getting the product to market or getting the first listing or getting and you know when you're in that moment everything feels so much longer than it actually is and I think when you look back you kind of you know as as I do now you probably think and realize you could take a few things a little bit more slower and make sure you get them right and you know even for me that not being my first product you can still kind of get caught up in just wanting to get that out there and and stuff and Look, you've got to balance it with, I personally do believe it, it, the best way of learning is sort of in, you know, to have things in market and to to not try and perfect too, too much, because ultimately your best way of learning is getting that product out there, um, getting feedback from consumers and that kind of thing. But where I wish I'd probably spent a bit more time was things like, um, you know, with with production and manufacturer relationships early on, like in, in our in our game where we don't. Um, own our own brewery for example like having um relying on 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 sort of other breweries that we work with to produce the product is is extremely important but it is really difficult um especially in the market at the moment um with covid i think breweries have found it really difficult to you know manage demand and and with all the pressures on you know supplies and all that kind of thing to know how much space they've got to work with third parties like ourselves but I think definitely within within our thing, it would have been probably early on just, you know, taking a bit more time to really find the best people to to have those longer term relationships. Because certainly, you know, we're really happy with um, with the sort of the main brewery that we work with uh, with now. But it took us definitely a few years to get there. And it's a shame. Yeah, we sort of weren't able to get there a bit, bit earlier and that would have saved a bit of of uh of, of stress and everything else i guess early on great insight great tips thank you for sharing and i appreciate it very much chris we'll definitely have you back on again thank you for being on the podcast awesome thanks very much simon appreciate that thanks for listening to pep talk we hope you enjoyed it don't forget to follow The Purposeful Project on all our social media channels where we're giving away even more free business secrets and entrepreneurial value. Again, we'd like to thank our sponsor GoDaddy for powering this podcast. From naming a business to buying a domain name to building your website for free, GoDaddy has you covered. For 40% off GoDaddy tools, click the link in the podcast note below and use the code GDXPEPTALK. See you next time, entrepreneurs. And remember, you're not alone.